dear congregation, when the bride-to-be looks forward to her wedding day, all her desire is towards the bridegroom. There would be nothing if he was not there. She is drawn to him. And that analogy of marriage is also used in, in Revelation 19, where it speaks of the marriage of the Lamb, that, that great wedding day of the church of Christ, where they will be united to him forever. And it says there, Let us be glad and rejoice and give him glory, for the marriage of the Lamb has come, and his wife has made herself ready. It's God who draws his people to himself for who he is, that, and that enables them, that equips them, and makes them to have that desire to prepare themselves for them. But before that day comes, there's always that waiting period. There's a waiting period until the time of the wedding day, and so it is for the church of Christ. And this Lord's Supper, as you've seen this morning, is, is given for that waiting period. It's provided for you, as he it says, do this in remembrance of me until the Lord comes. And so this Lord's Supper is not an end, but it's only a means, a meal, and a way to sustain you during this time. And you think of Moses and the elders as they went to eat this meal in the presence of the Lord, as they had only just begun their journey into the wilderness. What would this meal have done for them? How would the Lord have encouraged them? And strengthen them? How would the Lord have given them peace for, for the unknown future that they were facing? And after we have attended the Lord's table this morning, we can ask the same for ourselves. How has the Lord strengthened you, comforted you? What benefits did you receive when you came this morning? Or did you come? Why? How or why not? Has it then increased your longing and your desire to see him face to face? To be at that wedding day in eternity? Has it increased your desire to prepare yourself for him? To live as he desires and requires of you? To be separate from the world? To be a holy people? And it is, does it strengthen you to continue on through this life? Even with the many changes that we see in our own nation, the many questions that there can be, does it strengthen you to continue on following the Lord? Well, in the first chapter of the Song of Solomon here, we hear the voice of the bride and her desire for her bridegroom. It's a picture of the desire of the church for Christ. And in the opening verses, the bride is speaking to her bridegroom and expressing her desire for him. And so our theme this afternoon is the drawing love of God, and our text is the first four verses. The drawing love of God. And in the first place, we see the church's desire to be drawn by God, and secondly, the church's prayer to be drawn. And thirdly, the church's joy of being drawn. So we see first the church's desire to be drawn. And we see three main ways that God uses to motivate your desire. And so the first desire is motivated by the love of God. 
We see in verse 2, he says, Let him kiss me with the kisses of his mouth, for thy love is better than wine. And every believer must have and should have that desire for God to draw you to himself, to be nearer to Christ, to know more of him. The, the bride here desires the kisses of his mouth. She, she wants to know and experience his favor and his affection towards her. And that desire is not just a quick passing desire, but it's, it, this kisses is plural. She, she wants to live under the continual influence of his affection. The, the, a man and woman want to get married because they want to live with each other in their, each other's affection. And that's how the, the church desires to live under the influence of Christ and the love of Christ. And so the church desires to be drawn closer to Christ because so often we feel our distance from him. And so we need to be drawn closer to him. We live in that waiting period. We do not yet live in the full embrace of his love in eternity. God says perfect love is to keep his laws perfectly. And Jesus said, if you love me, keep my commandments. But we realize, don't we, how we live in a world of sin and how we have a corrupt nature still inclined, that old nature inclined to sin, how we have to fight that indwelling sin. Even Paul said, who shall deliver me from this body of death? So the church desires to be drawn because we realize that despite his love, we still cannot and do not come in our own strength or our own initiative. That's what Jesus said in John 6, No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up at the last day. That's not only true initially for the first time, but we need to continually be drawn to God, to be nearer to him. And it's that realization that seeks for the Spirit of God to work that in us. The church desires to be drawn because we tend to procrastinate. We see that in Felix, who trembled when Paul preached to him, but he he was not ready yet to come or to believe. But how often are we reminded that we need to seek God, but how often do we procrastinate? How many things come in the way in our daily life? The busyness of our work or family or the attractions or whatever else we can think of. We put off our prayer and our devotions or Bible study. And we wait for a more convenient time, so to speak. And what can really snap us out of that dull lethargy other than the love of God, the kisses of his mouth, the sense of his presence, the drawing love of God. And so our desire is motivated by the love of God for unworthy sinners. But then we see also... And secondly, that the desire is motivated by the character of God. God is a character of truth and love. Verse 2, the second half says, For thy love is better than wine. And here the wine refers to all the pleasures and enjoyments of this world. We can be motivated by, by the enjoyment that this world offers. We can be motivated by ways to promote our own name, our own business, our own reputation in this world. 
And our human nature always has a tendency to gravitate toward the ease or the prosperity, the, the things that we can find in this world to give pleasure. And this wine of the world can fill up our lives so, so much that it leaves no room for Christ. Proverbs says the full soul loathes the honeycomb, wants nothing to do with the sweetest thing there is because it's full. And the temptations of this world can make that wine look so good, so alluring, so satisfying that it clouds our view of Christ, that we forget about Him. And so we need to be drawn away from the bait of sin by the love of God. All the wine of this world is man-made and every bottle has a bottom. There's an end. But God is eternal. He endures forever. Love is not made by God, but it exists with God. It is part of who God is. We live in a time when Christ is quickly pushed out because our lives are so full of this world. But now we also live in a time when persecution could be closer than we think. And persecution itself can make us seek uh, things of this world to, to escape uh, the persecution. But and then we lose sight of the greater joys of heaven, trying to preserve what we have on this earth. And so whatever we face, as we've seen in the last couple of years, don't compromise. The character of the wine of this world is deception. It seeks to lead astray and to deceive. To set other things up as the most important in this world. But the character of Christ is eternal love and truth. And Paul said nothing on this earth can separate us from the love of God. He said in Romans 8, For I am persuaded that neither death nor life, angels nor principalities or powers, things present or things to come, even life or death, nothing can separate us. From the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. And it's Christ's love alone that can satisfy more than any sweet earthly pleasure. It's a love that passes all understanding. And so Paul, he exhorts us to be filled with the Spirit of God and not with the wine of the world. But then we see the church's desire is also motivated by the name of God. Verse 3 says, And because of the savor of thy good ointments, thy name is as ointment poured forth. The name of Christ is like precious ointment. Ointment has, is normally known for its fragrant smell or its, its healthy effects on the body. But when you think of a, a bride, when she hears the name of her bride-to-be, her husband-to-be, it, it brings a smile to her face, it brings joy to her heart. His name is like ointment poured forth into the soul. And so the ointment here symbolizes that, that influence of the Holy Spirit. As Isaiah 61 says, it has that, that healing effect. It, has that, it gives that joy and delight to the soul when, when you hear the name of Christ. And in Acts 3, Peter spoke to that lame man. He sat begging by the temple gates and he, he was looking for money. He was looking for gold and silver of the world. But Peter said, I have none of that. But he says, what I have I will give. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And then it says a few verses later, in his name, through faith in his name, this man was made strong. 
When you hear the name of Christ, you receive strength. It's, it's the name of Christ that draws your heart to him for who he is and what he has done. And faith in the name of Christ strengthens you here at this Lord's table. His name is like that precious ointment poured forth into your soul by his Holy Spirit. His name, he's a friend of sinners. He shed his blood and broke his body for sinners. Did you hear his name this morning? Here even today you can hear his name this afternoon for there's no other name given under heaven whereby we must be saved. Today God still calls you through this name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 3 continues. In the end it says, Therefore do the virgins love you. Continuing with the analogy of the bridegroom waiting for her wedding day. These virgins here to refer to the church of Christ. The body of true believers that is waiting along with them. That these are the pure in heart who love God. Blessed are the pure in heart for they shall see God. They shall see him face to face on that great day. You love Christ for who he is. The effect of that ointment of the Holy Spirit in your soul causes you to love him. You love him because he first loved you. Do you have that desire today and this morning? Is his name precious to you today? Do you love his name, his character, and the very love of God? Because often we struggle to find what is there in me that enables me to come. But does his love, does his name, does his character draw you to himself? Can you find him? But secondly, we see that this desire is expressed in prayer. The church's prayer to be drawn by God. We hear the request of the Shulamite woman, which is a prayer and a desire of the church of Christ in verse 4. He says, she says, draw me, draw me, draw me to yourself, O Lord, because of the suitableness and desirableness of who thou art, your character, your name. Draw me to yourself because I know that no one will come to, the Father, come to Christ unless the Father draws him. I feel that sluggishness, I feel that deadness, I need the drawing power and spirit of God. We feel the pull of the world. We feel the busyness of the world. Everything and anything draws us away from him, even the good things of life. And so we need him to draw. You pray to be drawn because you know and feel that you're not as close to Christ as you should be, as you want to be, or as you could be. On this earth there's all sorts of hindrances. Christ is not in all our thoughts. We do not have the mind of Christ in all of our actions or words. We have not put on the Lord Jesus Christ perfectly as we're called to. Draw me as your prayer. And with Psalm 1932 it says, I will run the way of your commandments when thou shalt enlarge my heart. 
And that word there, enlarge my heart, means to remove those obstacles of the heart that, that hinder you from coming. The obstacles that hinder you from walking in the way of his commandments. You say, enlarge the way, open the way. And like he opened the Red Sea for the Israelites, he enlarged the way by, by opening the Red Sea. Draw me so I have a strong, unhindered desire and delight in doing God's will in everything that I think or say and do. And this word, draw, children, it means to cause you to move in his direction. And if you ever had a pile of nails and hold a, hold a magnet close by, what happens to those nails? It gets pulled towards the magnet. And that's what this word means here. You are drawn to God as a nail to a magnet. The Lord causes you to be drawn to him. Now the same word is used in a negative way in Psalm 10 verse 9, where it speaks about the wicked person. The wicked person lies in wait to catch the poor. He catches the poor when he draws him into his net. It's like when you're using some kind of bait to, to catch an unsuspecting victim. The, the bait draws, it catches the attention, and it draws him into the net. But the Lord uses that same word again in Jeremiah 31, where he says, I've loved you with an everlasting love. Therefore, with loving kindness, I have drawn you. With his loving kindness, he draws you to himself. Paul says, don't you know that it's the goodness of God that leads you to repentance? The goodness of God to show you that there is forgiveness, that there is a way open for salvation for you today. God is love, his character, his truth. And they draw you to himself. His name as the friend of sinners draws you to him to find that forgiveness. His promise to, to lead you in the way that you do not know draws you to him for that guidance. And all that is displayed in Jesus Christ. 1 John 4 verse 9 says, In this the love of God was manifested toward us, that God has sent his only begotten Son into the world, that we might live through him. And this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins. And that love was displayed for all the world to see when Christ was crucified on the cross. And there Jesus said, when I am lifted up off the earth, I will draw all men unto me. When he is lifted up, when you see that sacrifice, you're drawn to him. Because that is your only hope of salvation and eternal life. And so your prayer is with this woman here, draw me. Through the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, who alone can save me. That is how God draws sinners to himself. And at Mount Sinai, the Israelites did not know the name of Jesus yet. But they would receive that tabernacle which pointed to him in every aspect of it. He was the Messiah. It wasn't the law that drove him to, to God. It rather filled him with fear, caused him to draw back, to be pushed back. 
But God called him up to the mountain where there was shown the beauty, the majesty of God. In the sapphire stone that was under his feet. There they saw that reconciliation with their covenant God. There they could eat and drink in his presence and not be consumed. And so it is that even today, God calls you to himself, those who do not yet know him. Where Paul says, we pray you in Christ's stead, be ye reconciled to God. Then being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. You can think of Peter in the New Testament after he denied his master, how Christ gave him that one look and it brought him to tears of repentance. It drew him back to Christ. But God also draws us to himself by afflictions. Afflictions to show us that true happiness is found in him alone. That everything in this world is but temporary. Psalm 119 says, It is good for me to have been afflicted, that I may learn thy statutes. And so it is he draws us to himself as the only one who can guide you and help you and carry you through. He's the one who knows what is happening and has a purpose for what is happening. And you draw, you're drawn to him for comfort and for strength and for grace. Your prayers draw me like you drew them. Draw me out of my sins. Draw me out of my troubles with your loving kindness. Draw me to your side in my afflictions. Draw me to yourself. Your prayers to be drawn because his love draws out that love that you have for him. That's an evidence of that saving work in your own heart. When Christ draws, you will come. Not reluctantly, not kicking and screaming. But verse 4, we will run after you. Running towards Christ in your life. Advancing in the way of holiness. Running the race of faith with that renewed vigor, with renewed strength. Running to Christ to feel his presence and his love in the face of persecution. Running to Christ when you're fleeing temptation. Running to Christ when you find your life in him. Instead of the empty wine bottles of this world or whatever form that might be in your life. This running is the opposite of sluggishness or unwillingness. God said he will have a willing people in the day of his power. Not a half-hearted Christianity. That love in your heart is drawn out by his word and by his spirit. But also especially at a place like this this morning at the Lord's table. Where he draws you by the eye of faith to see him lifted up. We see that on Mount Sinai they were where they initially moved away from God out of fear, but then they drew near to him. And you have to wonder what filled their hearts, as we said earlier. What filled their hearts, that love for God, that peace with God, when they saw that majesty or that glory that was revealed in the mountain. 
to know that they could come and eat with their covenant God. And Peter's love was drawn out by Christ, first by tears of remorse and repentance for sinning, then by his actions and by his confession when he said, Lord, thou knowest that I love thee. His love already ran after Christ there, but it certainly ran after him after the outpouring of the Holy Spirit after Pentecost. And Peter ran after Christ all his life and all his ministry. That is the reciprocal love that God not only gives but draws out to himself. And so the bride says, let him kiss me with the kisses of his mouth. How is Christ drawing you? How is Christ drawing your heart out to him? Is it through bitter afflictions and trials that you suffer? Is it through sweet words of forgiveness and mercy in the scripture? Is it through the broken bread and poured out wine that visualizes to you what he did for your soul? Is it by showing how your sin debt can be canceled through that one sacrifice for sin? Is it by showing how Christ had to bear the reproach of, of your sins on the cross? Is this your prayer, draw me, and we will run after you? Then lastly, we see the response to being drawn. That's the church's joy of being drawn. In verse 4, it says, The king hath brought me into his chambers. Here her prayer has been answered. Here her soul's desire has been satisfied. The king has brought her into his chambers. The king, the object of her heart, the desire of her love, the bridegroom, the one to whom her heart has been going out and aching for, has come and has taken her in. The one to whom she prayed has answered her request. And he brought her in. And this implies that without him she could not enter. To be brought in means he drew me in. He made it possible for me to come in. Something that was not possible in my own strength. We do, we do not enter heaven and sit at this banquet in our own strength or, or our own way up to heaven. It was not possible in, original, in our original sinful condition. It's not possible with all the hindrances and obstacles that we face in this world. But Christ brings in his bride. He redeems her with his own blood. He sanctifies her with his own spirit. And he will also bring you into glory. The work which he has begun for you, he will also finish. That is the hope the perseverance of the saints, that Christ is the one who brings you home. He said, without me, he can do nothing. And no man can come to me except the Father draw him. And yet here you've been brought, brought in, brought into his chambers, brought into the place where it's, it is it's filled with his possessions, here it's filled with this peace, with rest, with joy. Not only have you been received by the king, but brought in by the king. Not only accepted into his presence, but loved 
embraced, not only accommodated, but richly provided for in this banquet. The Lord has heard your request and granted it your request. And then they say in verse 4, we will be glad and rejoice in thee. Right in the middle of verse 4, we will be glad and rejoice in thee. Here is that tone of satisfaction. Satisfaction in the bridegroom who has done it all for her. He brought you in. He drew you in together. The church acknowledges Christ here who, who drew them in, who heard your prayer, who answered your request. And then she says, we will remember, or we will be glad and rejoice in thee. We will remember thy love more than wine. The upright love thee. And this word means, this word remember means more. It means not only to remember in your own mind, but to proclaim, to make mention of your love. Her, her joy is a joy of all believers, and it's a joy that you, you share to those around you. You share in the joy of the Lord. Christ's church is one church. It's one bride. You all receive the, the same spirit and the same body. You all join rejoice in this one Christ, in this one sacrifice for sinners. And the whole church makes, makes mention of Christ in your confession. Not only to each other here, but to the world. And if you've been drawn by Christ, by his love, you will remember. You will proclaim his love to the world. You will de de desire others to be drawn with you, to, to run with you, and to find what you have found. And this joy is, is, is in response to Christ's answer to your prayer. Your joy is in him himself. And the focus is not on yourself and your salvation alone, but on Christ, the bridegroom. You focus not so much on the benefits, but on him. It's like when you get married, your focus is not on what possessions there is, but on your husband, your spouse. He who glories, let him glory in the Lord. And that love cannot be hid. Christ's love constrains us to speak to others. Or at the very least, it should emanate from our lives in every action, word, and, and thought. We'll remember thy love more than wine. That love of God stays with you. Once you've tasted of that love, it replaces the empty wine bottles of this world. Nothing in this world can compare to the eternal, unchanging love of God. And that is what we need to remember as we face the increasing opposition in this world. The love of God never changes. God himself never changes. But the oppositions will. In many different ways, in many different deceptions, this world will come after the church. But keep your hearts and eyes fixed on Christ alone. And this is what we need to remember as we try to fill our lives with all the activities and all the pleasures of this world. That will pass. There's a bottom to every bottle. There's an end to every enjoyment in this life. But in Christ, they last forever and ever. And so our love is demonstrated by our walk of life. Jesus said, if you love me, 
keep my commandments? Is there an increased aversion to sin in your life? An increased awareness of your weakness, of your faults? Is there an increased zeal for Christ and his kingdom? To live holy, to live godly. Christ warned the church in Revelation 2 that they have left, left their first love. That love and zeal has grown cold. And here that love is kindled again to make you run after him in a renewed love and zeal. And Christ warns us of a, of a cold and a dying love. And so our prayer must be draw us after thee. Kindle that love in our hearts again. That we may have that zeal. That we may have that love and faithfulness. Is there an increased watchfulness in your life? Especially in the areas that you know that you're easily tempted. Easily drawn by the temptations of this world. Easily drawn and enticed by the lusts of your heart. Is there an increased watchfulness? Is there a prayer, Lord, draw me to thyself? That I'm not drawn into sin. Is there an increased hungering and thirsting after righteousness. To be conformed to the image of Christ. Is there an increased heeding to his call. As he says be ye holy. For I am holy. Because without holiness no one shall see the Lord. Is there an increased vigilance. Today, knowing that Satan and this world seek to draw God's people away from him. That he goes about as a roaring lion. That it seems as today there is just so many different areas of attack. Is there an increased vigilance? Lord, draw me, draw my family, draw our congregation, our church, our neighbors away out of the clutches and claws of Satan. How many different ways has he tried to penetrate your families and your homes and your, your churches with deceit and deception and falsehood and bait? But do you pray, draw us, Lord, unto thyself. Deliver us out of the kingdom of darkness. We don't have Christ here physically on earth. But Christ also said, if you do it to the least one of these, my brethren, you've done it to me. And if God so loved us, we ought also to love one another. Is there an increased love for the brethren and for our neighbor? They were the hands and feet of, of Christ here on this earth. Do we pray, Lord, draw us to thyself. That we may live as Christ on this earth. To be the friend of sinners. Not to follow them into their ways of sin. But to be able to speak to them. Of the love of God in Christ Jesus. To tell them. That as God shows his mercy and his long suffering kindness. Even as the rainbow comes into the sky after a rainstorm. To show that his covenant he made with Noah means that he will not destroy this world with a flood again, even though the world is so sinful. 
can we tell it to those people who take the colors of the rainbow and defile them for their own wicked use? And can we say the rainbow means God is faithful, that God is merciful, that he is long-suffering, that he is tender in kindness and mercy, and that he forgives sin to thousands of generations, and that he is there to call sinners unto himself? Are we there to help the needy? Do we pray, draw us to thyself, Lord, that we may walk as Christ on this earth? Do we pray, draw us, that our whole desire may not be anchored in this world, but that it may be with the eyes to that great wedding day, when one day you will see him face to face. And no more through a glass darkly, as Paul says, but then face to face. For you shall be made like him. All sin and iniquity taken away. Then to be in the full embrace of his love forever and for all eternity. The upright love thee. The last part of verse 4. We love him because he first loved us. A love that emanates because of what God has given. A love that motivates, a love that draws, a love that drives. A love that prays to be drawn closer to Christ. Then your joy will be full. Draw me and we will run after thee. Amen. Let us pray.